Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. With me, as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demeath. It is Wednesday, November 2nd. Chris and I are just back from a great workout, and today we're going to talk about two stocks that have not been kind to their owners this year. Uh, We're going to start with Valiant Pharma, which is down about 80% year-to-date, and then we'll shift over to L Brands, uh, the owner of Victoria's Secret and Bath & Body Works, and that stock is down over 30% year-to-date. Uh, so, Chris, Valiant Pharma, we last mentioned the pharmaceutical, well, kind of ex-giant at this point on our September 27th podcast. And at that time, we mentioned they were looking to sell off their non-core assets. And it's been a big week, a big news week for them. Uh, first, on Monday, shares were down 12% on the news that their former CEO and CFO were the subjects of a criminal probe related to their relationship with the specialty pharmacy Philidor, which was Valiant controlled. And it was a whole mess, uh, kind of beyond what we can talk about on the podcast right now. But then right after that, yesterday, shares were up, made up all those losses and then some. They were up 30% on rumors that they were looking to sell their Salix division for $10 billion to Japanese drug, drug giant Takeda Pharma. Uh, and then even this afternoon, there were whispers, hey, they might even sell their eye, pieces of their eye care division, Bosch and Loam. Uh, and the end result is shareholders are a lot more nervous. Shareholders have kind of been whipsawed back and forth. But the stock's actually flat over the past week. So lots of news, not much stock movement. What's your take on everything that's going on here? Not much net stock movement. <laughs> not much net stock movement, exactly. Yep. Um, it was a big move on Monday. Um, I would say that whenever there is a strong market reaction to a firm, one of the first questions I ask myself is, is the strong reaction an overreaction? The problem with Valiant, uh, well, the problem with thinking about Valiant on the long side, and full disclosure, I'm short a bit of Valiant, uh, uh, is that it's hard to pick which part of the business wouldn't be affected by the legal issues, by the former management, by Philidor. It's hard to come in and pick the uh, the, the, the part, you know, if there was a uh, if there was a, uh, a tumor that you could say is is not effective. Yeah. It, it, but here's my thing with the share dropping 12 percent on the CEO. Like if you were if you were long the stock, mm-hmm. how in the world could you not think that there were criminal investigations going on left and right with this company? Like I, I was just doing some research on this. And if you go, you can look on, in mid-August, the Wall Street Journal had a story and the, the title of the story is Valiant under criminal investigation. So it's not like Valiant, the company being under criminal investigation is new. And, you know, if the ex-CEO and ex-CFO are under investigation, who cares? How is this a surprise? How is this going to move the stock by more than a billion dollars worth of market value? Because it's not really a surprise, you know? So that's the only thing I I have on that. Yeah, yeah. you know, in terms of mean reversion and what's priced in, when there's so much news, it's kind of hard to know which mean and kind of what level. But yeah, no, it does seem like this should have been more priced in than that. No, I think that's a very good uh, point. Um, and then the second bit of news um, on, is it okay to move to the... Yeah, let's go to sales. I think that from a uh, game theoretic perspective that the uh, Japanese buyer is in a fantastic situation. Yep. Whenever a company says, if I say, hey, Andrew, I'm, I'm having problems with liquidity, I might become insolvent, um, I have to sell stuff to you or I'm dead. I mean, it's just such a wonderful situation for you to be in in terms of 
uh, your uh, price sensitivity to yeah. it. Um, and it's such a terrible game theoretic bind for the seller. The, the only thing with the seller is if the asset is valuable enough, then people will overcome that, right? If there are 100 bidders for something and you're a desperate seller, then 100 bidders, as long as you don't need to sell within the next second, you should be able to get pretty much full price for it. But in this case, there might only be a couple billiers bidders. It's a $10 billion uh, company. And Salix has been tainted by – there was an accounting scandal mm-hmm. before valuing about them, all this sort of stuff. So I agree with you. Takeda is in a great spot for buying Salix. You can be price sensitive or time sensitive, but it's very hard to demand to the world that you get to be both at the same time. Yep. Um, and also the other thing about this is it really kind of casts aspersions upon former uh, management claims. You know, what What is Valiant going to be left with? I mean I've joked. In the past, I think I won't, I won't I won't go into it again about the whole concept of non-core because it keeps it keeps changing. You know, they, they bought these things very recently, yeah. and so what are they left with? It, and when they claimed in the past, here's where we're going to hold our ground, and then they're secretly trying to shovel those assets out the door. What's left to cover their debt? In this case, so look, the, the rumors they were going to sell Salix sent the shares way up yesterday, and in this case, I I think it, it's kind of a relief rally, but I I think it's awful news for Valiant. To be honest with you, if you go back to our September 27th podcast at the time management said hey we're looking to sell 8 billion in non-core assets which how does an asset become non-core who knows but we're looking to sell 8 billion non-core assets and the two things they said were Bosch and Loam and Salix are crown jewels we're not going to sell them and they're, here they are, kind of whispers coming out about them selling Bosch and Loam and Salix. You know what you're not hearing anything on? They're not talking about that $8 billion in non-core assets that they, they said, hey, we can sell these for 11x EBITDA, $8 billion non-core assets. That's gone. And it makes me think that nobody wanted to buy those things. And if I was a shareholder right now, I'd be looking at kind of, you know, your sum of the parts model and saying outside of Bosch and Loam and Salix, like, is there is there any value here? And I would be absolutely terrified, to be honest with you. And then the other thing, uh, I'll, I'll let you comment on this. Uh, the other thing that's kind of funny to me is, you know, shares were up 30% on this news. Valiant bought Salix for, including debt, $16 billion last year. And here they are, and the exact terms that have been rumored is $8.5 billion in cash, plus like a $1.5 billion earn out. So shares were way up on the news that, hey, we just lit $6 billion on fire in about a year. Whenever I think about is something a good decision, it's much easier to think about in terms of doing a 1,000 or 10,000 times, because probabilistically it might work once or twice, even if it's bad. But if you're in the business of buying $18 billion and selling for $10 billion, yeah. And you do that a thousand times or ten thousand times, you can get a sense this is not a sustainable business. Um, you know, I, I tell my children at regular intervals that you know I'm thinking about uh, selling them uh, when their behavior is bad, but they kind of secretly know that I'm not really going to do it. I mean, Salix and uh, and Bash and Long, these are their children. This is what they kind of always said. You know, you know, we'll, we'll sell if necessary, but but they're really selling them now, and I think that that uh, should should cause a, a great deal. Of, of worry. Um, my last thing is uh, Q3 earnings, I believe, are coming out next week. And my interpretation, if they're looking to sell Salix right now, looking mm-hmm. to sell BNL, clearly trying to get them in before they report earnings. I, based on that, and uh, you can see kind of how their prescriptions are tracking through some industry services. I would guess Q3 earnings are not going to be good for Valiant. You know, yeah, and so much of what they've done historically was a trick in a sense. And one thing that's very interesting to me, and um, and 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 I've talked. Uh, 
at length with enforcement agents on the regulatory side about why uh, this tends to always happen, that when somebody has a trick, they're very rarely doing deep, substantive, careful work also. Mm -hmm. It's not like somebody works really hard and they're honest and sincere and they're doing the substantive job and then they kind of supplement it. Usually when tricks work so well, you don't really have that much energy because actual work is so much more work. And so what they were buying, and I believe I'm plagiarizing you on this, but is uh, is that they're often buying crap. Yeah. They, they Look, they were they were buying crap and their trick was you raise prices and you have a controlled specialty pharmacy and you can get you can kind of turn it into an infinite pricing machine Mm -hmm. and uh it looked great for a while it it made tons of logical sense but it it was a trick and uh it was not great anyway let's wrap up the valiant conversation there and we're going to move to l brands as we said owners of victoria's secret and bath and body works uh chris we're really mentioning this just because i wanted to give you an excuse to look at google images of victoria's secrets uh this one's for you we've been doing due diligence (laughs) we do deep dives we are careful did did i tell you uh earlier this year i was looking I, i'm being 100 percent serious i was looking at a breast implant comp- uh-huh. company that had had accounting issues and i would like uh our, our ea is a female and i i would look around and be like okay she's not here i can like <laughs> google image and it wasn't for a creepy reason just it's weird to have like pictures of breast implants pulled up on your computer all right neither here nor there uh chris so l brand shares have been uh falling all this year as growth has slowed including an eight percent drop yesterday as the company pre-announced q3 sales that were well below expectations and, you know, I thought management, I, I kind of glanced through the transcript of the analyst day. I thought they were pretty refreshing. They said, look, Victoria's Secret is stale. We need to bring, we need to refocus in order to bring customers back. We've been doing things like selling Uggs in our Victoria's Secret store, and we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to sell only things that you can only get in a Victoria's Secret store. We've been doing too much discounting. We're going to stop all that. So I thought they were refreshing, but look, it's not a, a great, uh, it's not a great look for them. So it's... They own Victoria's Secret, uh, Bed Bath and Body Works, or Bath and Body Works. So, what do you think of the company and what's going on with them? My version of hell looks a lot like an indoor mall. So, uh, the idea of going to any one of these places, actually buying uh, buying women's underwear in a mall, and just kind of not <laughs> and having to talk to another person about this in an enclosed space that you can't see the out of doors, or buying soap or anything else like if i need soap i mean it's just inconceivable and then the combination of having indoor mall space for these awful stores or a print catalog i mean it's just it's just not how i would i I would spend however much money they're charging for their products to not have to go and not have to get their catalog and not have to do you know uh, and and that's kind of hitting on one of my things here like Victoria's Secret, their whole thing is, if you look through the analyst day and if you look why investors were disappointed, they keep saying, look, we can grow our square footage, which is basically we're going to open mm-hmm. some stores by mid single digits every year. And my whole thing when I look at this company is malls are dying, right? We've mm-hmm. talked about this before. All the department stores are closing. If malls are dying, how are they going to grow Victoria's Secret and, bed, and Bath and Body Works by 5% per year in terms of square footage. Like, where are they going to open these new stores? Where is the demand? And then when I look at their business, like, you're selling high-margin candles and bras. Why is this not better with an online subscription service? Like, I've done online uh, men's underwear delivered to you. It's it's cheap. It's better than what you get uh, in stores. And it, it's a lot of fun. And you can choose exactly what you want. How is Victoria's Secret going to survive in the online world? It just feels like this is a company that is – the trends are way against it. And they're still trying 
trying to grow and it's not going to be great for them. It's it's the perfect business for online direct-to-consumer on, on all quality uh, of the regularity, the information they can get their customers. Um, I mean, but you look at these guys, Sears quit the catalog business in 1993. JCPenney quit the catalog business in 2011. So these guys are supposed to be uh, on top of trends and they're 23 years behind Sears. <laughs> it's not a great yeah. indicator in terms of the ability to spot trends. But it turns um, out people want to look at uh, catalogs of angels and uh, Well, and they do, but what they really wanted to do in the 20th century was to look at this stuff without looking like a freak. But uh, to quote uh, Michelle Obama said in the Democratic Convention, uh, when when they go low, we go high. Uh, but and the reality is today, uh, when they go high, you go low because online or on your Kindle or on mm-hmm. in the modern world, there's no social propriety that's needed anymore. So all of these kind of soft yeah. pornographic catalogs it, it, really have no need. It's why Playboy it has. I don't think they've actually gone bankrupt, but it's why the Playboy doesn't do the magazine really anymore. But you know, I'm, I'm just going to lob two things out there. Like I went on Bath and Body Works website and mm-hmm. I've seen the stores. Like they've got a hundred different types. This is literal. They had 83 different types of three wick candles on there. Like, <laughs> and, and they've got a store that I assume carries 83 three different types of three wicks candle like how can you carry that much inventory in a store it's just insane and my other question is you know l brands if i look at them i say you've got a, a candle shop slash fragrance shop and a bra company like why are these two businesses together why why isn't this a split up candidate at some mm-hmm. point so anyway we'll leave it on that because i do want to turn to the election uh on the election this is kind of i saw an interesting story about the online betting site patty powered pattypower.com today that's i believe it's an irish betting site and they said hey 91 percent of the bets that have come in the past two days have been placed on donald trump uh but it's kind of interesting because pattypower.com in mid-october they came out with this big announcement that said donald trump's done we're we're gonna pay out any bets you've made on hillary clinton already so they've already paid out winning hillary clinton bets and they're getting all these bets on donald trump doesn't seem like a great business model but uh chris Speaking of betting, 538.com has Hillary Clinton at about 68%, Donald Trump at about 32%. Ignoring who you think will win and why, if I gave you those odds, who would you be betting on? Like, what do you think the market might be missing here? I would bet on Hillary Clinton. Um, I think the market, as is its want, is looking at a recent and vivid uh, 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 news uh, that, uh, you know, Donald Trump had sex scandals. Hillary Clinton had uh, compliance scandals. Uh, sex is more fun than compliance. But now Hillary Clinton even has a sex element to it <laughs> now that you have Anthony Weiner involved. So now people can start paying attention to that. Uh, but it is probably overstated. First of all, there are not that many undecided voters uh, left. Uh, they tend to be, you know, gosh, uh, uh, not to not to elicit hate mail from undecided voters uh, who now have our email address, but uh, some of these are fairly low information voters. I mean, what do, what do you need to, to make a decision that you don't have yet? And so they're probably not paying uh, too close attention. Uh, the polls are uh, show tightening but stabilizing, uh, and I would say that at the very very pointy peak of Donald Trump's uh, best days, he's still a little behind in the popular vote, but that distance is accentuated by the Electoral College. He has a tough Electoral College uh, road to hoe. Yeah, I guess my two things are, I I think I'd agree with you on Hillary, just because 
the early vote numbers, there's been so much early voting done already, and mm-hmm. I think the early vote numbers have been pretty strong for Hillary in mm-hmm. a lot of swing states. Like, the things I've seen in North Carolina have her up high single digits, and North Carolina has a very high early voting percentage. So that's a swing state. It seems like it'd be tough for Trump to take that one. But on the Trump side, the one thing I've seen a lot of people saying is a lot of the independent or the undecided voters might be people who lean Republican and have just been like, Am I really going to cast a vote for this guy? So maybe there is a little hope for him left outstanding there. I don't know. Let, let me also throw out with the demographics. I'm super interested in demographic statistics. I, it's it's somewhat unsettling, perhaps, that it's so dispositive. But it is. You can learn a lot uh, looking, kind of drilling down within demographics on the partisan support. Um, a lot of the theory for Donald Trump, and this was one that I never thought was that convincing, yep. was the missing white five million. The, the, yep, yep. Uh, but if you had this missing white five million, it would be as if my business theory was there's a vein of gold three miles beneath Earth's crust. And then you said, oh, that's an interesting set of words you're saying. Thank you for the word salad. Do you have the tools, the wherewithal to go get it? What, what, what? I have to go get it now? I just, I'm just going to keep telling you that this exists and it's going to magically rise to the surface. <laughs> well, if they're missing, they're missing for some reason. And so if you said, you know, if this was Obama who had a brilliant get out the vote campaign, who was just a fantastic campaigner and it was very data driven, you know, he said, you know, there are these people I need to come out to vote if I'm going to win. And then he got them to vote. He did the things that one would do. He hired the people to organize them. He asked them to vote. He found them. He bothered them until they did the thing that he claimed. It was very coherent. It was very rational. It was He was thinking in this kind of linear transitive way and uh, one plus one equal two. In this case, there's this kind of amorphous theory that I might uh, have some quibbles with, not time to quibble now. But even if it was, even if you just... Uh, uh, accepted the theory and stipulated that there are these five million missing white voters. Uh, Trump's doing nothing to actually go get them to the polls. <laughs> there, there, there are two things that I, I find funny. A, uh, like I'm sure this joke has been made before, but uh, you know I'm friends with a lot of people on Facebook, and it's funny that it's called the Silent Five Million because mm-hmm. I can assure you, like anybody who's passionate about Donald Trump is not silent about it. But uh, did you see the Business Week article that kind of went inside his? Uh, his Twitter campaign and all of his online stuff I and everything. I sent it to you. You sent it to me. Okay, that, that's where I saw it. God, it, it, it was just insane. Like, A, it's a lot sharper and a lot more strategic than I had kind of given credit mm-hmm. for, like how, how they thought about kind of capturing all of this. Mm-hmm. But B, the thing that was really scary in there was uh, they had a lot of things where they were running targeted campaigns at voter suppression. And then there was an article uh, in the Washington Post, I want to say today, that said African-American turnout is way down. And some people think it might be Obama. But what if a voter suppression campaign is like really successful? That's just so un-American, I would say. I don't know. But it's a very scary thought to think that there's someone actively voter suppressing. If you don't like the direction a democracy is going, you can turn to a outreach and inclusion direction and say, hey, I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to convince you. I'm going to appeal to you. I'm going to look at all the things that we might uh, be able to come to terms in or turn to autocracy. And I think that there's this huge move towards uh, an autocratic preference, uh, but then can you get them to come and vote? It's not clear that you can. Um, and then just to tick through really quickly, if you force each state, even states within the margin of error, to no toss-up, I think Clinton is currently at, at about 273. Of course, she needs to get to 270. I think she can end up a lot closer to 370. Um, if you look at the prediction markets, that translates to a prediction of about 278. Um, I, I think that's about as 
as good as it could get for Trump. I think that she might win with that small margin. I, I expect it will be more. But it's very hard to get her under 270. Yep. All right. All right. We, we are way over time. Oh, all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. You know, the more listeners we have, the more likely we're do, to do the show. We keep seeing our listener numbers grow, and that really encourages us to keep doing these two or three times a week. So uh, that's it. Disclosures, Chris, none for me. I think you mentioned that you're short a little bit of Valiant. Short a little bit of Valiant. Okay, great. So those are disclosures, and we will talk to you guys next week.